0: Let's get our Bibles out. Are the lights dimmed in here or am I, am I flit fading? It's all growing dark. <laughs> Chapter 20, 1 Samuel. Let's thank God for the Word. Father, we thank you this morning for the gift of each other, that we can come together and worship and hear the word. We thank you for Jesus who has saved us from our sins. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in us to lead us and guide us into all truth. And Father, we ask this morning that your precious Holy Spirit would open up the word to us, reveal Jesus to us, and that when we left this place, we'd have a greater understanding of your heart, of your principles, uh, Father, of the history that has led us to be the people of God. We just thank you this morning that we're, we're your children. What a privilege and an honor it is. Father, we want to serve you with everything that's in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 20, we're here with Jonathan and David, and things are coming unglued. Saul is uh, after David, and we're going to see that uh, Jonathan once again aligns himself with David against his father, and this chapter shows the climax of that situation and a lot of powerful things going on. Let me read uh, the whole chapter to you, 42 verses. It says this, David fled from Naoth at Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before your father that he's seeking my life? He said to him, Far from it you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? Is it not so? Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And he said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me to return to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for his whole family. If he says it is good, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But there is, if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn the evil has decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? "'Jonathan said to David, "'Come, and let us go into the field.' "'So both of them went into the field. "'Then Jonathan said to David, "'The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. "'When I have sounded out my father about you this time on the third day, "'behold, if there is good feeling toward David, "'shall I not then send to you and make it known to you? "'If it pleases my father to do you harm, "'may the Lord do so to Jonathan and even more, "'if I do not make it known to you and send you away.'" That you may go in safety, and may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off my loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David in the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it as the hands of David's enemies. "'Jonathan made David vow again because his love for him, "'because he loved him as he loved his own life. "'Then Jonathan said to him, "'Tomorrow is the new moon, "'and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. "'When you have stayed for three days, "'you shall go down quickly and come to the place "'where you hid yourself on that eventful day, "'and you shall remain by the stone Ezel. "'I will shoot three arrows to the side "'as though I shot at a target. "'And behold, I will send the lad saying, "'Go find the arrows.' If I specifically say to the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, for it is safe for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, Behold, the arrows are beyond you, go for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon came, the king sat down to eat food. The king sat in his seat as usual, the seat by the wall. Then Jonathan rose up and Abner sat by Saul's side. David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not speak anything that day for he thought it is an accident. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. Verse 27, it came about the next day, the second day of the new moon, that David's place was empty. So Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has the son of Jesse not come to the meal either yesterday or today? "'Jonathan answered Saul earnestly. "'David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. "'For he said, please let me go, "'since our family has a sacrifice in the city "'and my brother has commanded me to attend. "'And now if I have found favor in your sight, "'please let me get away that I may see my brothers. "'For this reason he has not come to the king's table.'" Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, "'You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, "'do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse "'to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? "'For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, "'neither you nor your kingdom will be established. "'Therefore now send and bring him to me, "'for he must surely die.' "'But Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, "'Why should he be put to death? "'What has he done?' Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down, so Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Now it came about in the morning that Jonathan went out in the field for the appointment with David. And the little lad was with him. He said to him, "'Run, find now the arrows which I am about to shoot.' And the lad was running. He shot an arrow past him. Then the lad reached the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot. Jonathan called after the lad and said, "'Is not the arrow beyond you?' And Jonathan called after the lad, "'Hurry, be quick, do not stay.' And Jonathan's lad picked up the arrow and came to his master. But the lad was not aware of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew about the matter." And Jonathan gave his weapons to the lad and said to him, go, bring them to the city. When the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground. And he bowed three times and then they kissed each other and wept. But David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, go in safety inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord will be between me and you and be between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. A long chapter, a powerful chapter, the culmination of many things. At this point, uh, forward from here, David will not be able to be in Saul's presence. He'll be on the run. Now, remember last time we were together and we were in the previous chapter, Saul uh, had track David down among the prophets. He was with the prophets, and he was prophesying, and Samuel was there, and Saul sent three groups of men to kill David, but every time they got there, they were overcome by the Spirit of God, and they couldn't touch David. Saul finally went himself to try and grab David out of that place, and he couldn't. The Spirit of God overcame Saul, and he began to prophesy. So God had protected David among the prophets, and he escaped the hand of Saul. But now he's on the run again. Uh, Things are, are not stable. Saul is coming unglued. And this time he doesn't run back to the prophets. He runs to Jonathan. Now I want you to notice that where we go in crisis tells us a lot about our hearts. You see, he didn't go to his family in Bethlehem. He didn't go to his hometown. He didn't go to his military unit where no doubt his men were with him. No, he ran to his friend Jonathan. And I want you to see that Jonathan, though he's Saul's son, is David's close friend. Uh, Having close friends in time of crisis is a huge blessing. Maybe you can think back to a time where your life was coming unglued and there was just so much pressure and your emotions were overwhelming you. And you had a friend that stood by you and stuck by you and listened to you. What a precious, precious gift that is. Now the way you're looking at me is like you never had any friends at all. But, you know, having a friend in crisis is a beautiful thing. Can we say amen? amen. And so David runs to his good friend, and he, and he doesn't go to other places, and that's telling. First he goes to the prophet, he runs to God, then he runs to his good friend for support. David pours his anxiety out at Jonathan's feet. This is important. A good friend will listen to you when you're hurting. Amen. Come on. I mean, there are so many people who say, how you doing? And when you start to answer them, they run away. Yeah right? They don't really care how you're doing. It's just a greeting. That was rhetorical. I don't care how you're doing. I got places to be. You know, if you have a friend that will listen to you when you're broken, what a gift that is. And I want to point out some powerful things on the way here this morning. I was just meditating in the car, driving over, thinking about friendship and thinking about the friendships that I've had. And I want you to think about friendships that you've had. Many times our friendships are one-sided. People, you know, they're there when everything's good and, and, and you know, it's a party and it's fun and everything's happy, clappy. But when it gets rough, they're gone. That's a, that's a fair weather friend. And many times you have a friend that when they're hurting, they'll come to you and they'll lean on you and pour out on you and, and they'll expect you to listen. But when it's your turn, they disappear. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've, I've had one-way friendships. I think about some of the friendships I had in high school and I shake my head. The, the, it, it was not reciprocated. The, the, the friendship was one-sided. Here's a friendship between David and Jonathan that is just a beautiful picture of hearts that are knit together of what a friend's really supposed to be. Having friends that will listen and care and be with you in crisis and hold up your hands and side with you even at the the risk to their own uh, selves is a a blessing. Cherish those friends if you have them and try to be that type of friend to other people. Come on, say amen. Amen. Verse two, Jonathan tries to calm David down. And you know, here is, this situation has really blown up. Jonathan's trying to catch up here. He said to him, far be it from you, you shall not die. So Jonathan immediately tries to calm his friend down and tells him, you know, everything's gonna be all right, David, just relax. Now for some reason, Jonathan seems to not remember that Saul has already thrown two spears at David and David's had to escape, and that Jonathan himself brokered peace between the two, but yet somehow, some way, he's kind of just, you know, seeing with the rose-colored glasses here that calm down, everything's going to be okay. In his mind, he still thinks that the peace he brokered between David and his father is intact, and unfortunately, Jonathan is very wrong. And I want to say something. Sometimes, I'm going to say this a few times. Sometimes people who love us and are for us and even have good intentions towards us, sometimes their counsel is wrong. And I want you to think about that this morning, that, you know, uh, you can take the counsel of people and you say, well, this person loves me. They wouldn't lead me astray. There are times where we have got to hear God for ourselves. We have got to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying to us. Because even, look, even my, I can go to my mother anytime and she's for me and she'll tell me happy things and she'll cook me something. But I got to hear the Holy Spirit for myself. And so do you, and so did David. And there was a problem here. Jonathan wanted everything to be okay, but Jonathan was wrong. It wasn't okay. In verse 3, David insists, Jonathan, it's much worse than you think. Yet David vowed and said, saying, your father knows well that, he, that I have found favor in your sight. Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, listen to this, there is hardly a step between me and death. Wow. David knows how serious the situation is. He's like, I'm skating on vapors here. I'm I'm a hunted man at this point. Jonathan, could it be possible that your father has not told you what's going on here is because he knows that we talk. You know, I want to make a point about Saul here. Saul at this point is an ungodly person. He's afflicted by devils. He's come unglued and he has murderous intentions. And you got to understand when someone's in that state, you know, it, it is not, you know, you're not dealing, Jonathan, with a rational person. How many times we, we try to deal with someone rationally, with logic or with humility, and that person is irrational and they don't respond to that. We have to discern the condition of a person's heart at times because we're being foolish if we can think we can go to them like a lamb and they're a wolf. Come on, you know Little Red Riding Hood, right? We need discernment, we need the Holy Spirit, we need to hear the voice of God. Jonathan is hoping everything's okay because he doesn't want it to be not okay. Yet it's it's not a good situation. David says, "You know what? Your father just hasn't told you. That's why Saul was slick and he was very uh, shrewd and he's deceptive and he's become manipulative and he's actually become you know uh, demonically oppressed. We can't trust the situation. Uh, not everyone around us is going to recognize and understand what we're up against." There are some times when even the people closest to us can't discern what we're going through. There's times even when your spouse is not gonna see what you're facing and you say, well, why is that? You know, the two are one and stuff. There's times my wife can't handle all the spiritual assault that I go through, that I can go just dump it on her. The, the Lord showed me a long time ago there are certain things I have to work out with me and him at Jesus' feet, Amen. Amen. And it's, there's times where people who are closest to you and love you, and they're just not getting it of what you're going through. Man, There's a, I'm a heartbeat away from, and they're like, you're crazy. You're overreacting. You need to switch to decaf. You need to relax. And they're not getting it. It is so true, isn't it? And this is what the word is showing us here, that there are times where, and I believe God orchestrates it this way, that the only way we're going to work it out is with him, just you and him, you and him. He's a jealous God. He wants that intimacy with you. Look, if people could solve all our problems, if we could solve all our problems for each other, we wouldn't need Jesus. (laughs) So Jonathan's not getting it here. He has a good heart. He has good intentions, but his counsel is not right at this point. Uh, there are times where people are not going to know or understand what you're going through emotionally or personally or spiritually at times, and that's okay. Don't get angry at them. Don't get upset. Don't get mad at your spouse because they, they, they're not feeling what you're feeling. It's time for you to work it out with the Lord and hear his voice. You have a personal relationship with him. Verses four through nine, Jonathan agrees to help David and put himself in harm's way with Saul. There again, back to friendship. What a friend here! <laughs> you know, uh, you tell a friend, "Hey, you know the the the, the government's hunting me down. They're after me. They got hitmen against you." Well, I'll pray for you. Yeah. This guy says, "Man, I'll I'll guard you. I'll step in between you and him. I'll get in the way. I'll I'll protect you." That's a friend, Amen. man. If you got friends like that, if you, I mean, you're blessed. Most people are like, well, we'll put you on the prayer chain. And in the morning, we'll look for your name in the obituary and pray. It's not there. But Jonathan does more than, you know, empathize with him or, you know, say he'll pray for him. He puts himself in harm's way. What a friend he is, even at his own expense. We're going to see, you know, that David is going to be missing from the dinner table here at some of these feasts. And Jonathan's agreed to run interference for him with Saul to see if he can gauge Saul's intentions towards him. Now, it becomes obvious that at this point, Saul is very unpredictable. And there again, that's what I want you to see about Saul. W- what is the point of constantly pointing out Saul uh, as he gets worse and worse? Because I want you to see the downward spiral of sin, okay? Sin is not static. You just not well, I'm a sinner and I stay at this level. Wickedness is not static. Well, I'm wicked, but, you know, wickedness gets more wicked. Right. Sin gets more sinful. Come on. And and people who, you, I want you to see the downward spiral of Saul's life. Don't think that you can play with sin and keep it in a little cup like this. Because the next thing you know, you got it in a five-gallon bucket, and then you got it in a wheelbarrow, and the next thing you know, it controls you. For for those of you out there who think you can play with sin, young people, you could just smoke a little bit of this, drink a little bit of that, get high just a little bit. Listen to me. The devil will never settle for just a little. He wants to get that hook in you and control your life and destroy your relationship with God and kill your soul and drag it to hell for eternity. That's the end game. That's the end game. And Saul's coming unglued, and the downward spiral of his life is showing. He's getting worse and worse. We're going to see him hit some new lows here in this chapter. He's becoming unpredictable. No one can tell what he's going to do. He's hot. He's cold. He's benevolent. One minute he's, oh, I'll never hurt David. The next minute he's throwing spears. You know, this, this guy's like a really fun guy to hang out with at this point. Totally Unpredictable verses 10 through 17, Jonathan and David make another covenant. Remember, they made a covenant with each other, but they not only reaffirm that covenant, but they make a new one. And these verses here, the covenant is this, and it shows Jonathan's spiritual perception. Jonathan basically comes to David and says, when this all comes unglued here, and, and God deals with Saul, and you're on the throne, be kind to me and my family. Think about that. Jonathan could have just stepped back and let Saul run his course and kill David and he would have sat on the throne. But instead, no, he knows God picked David and not him. So he's willing to step out of the way that God's will would be done what character. And then he has enough spiritual insight to know that, you know what, when this all goes down and David's on the throne, he's going to be king. And there's going to be a clash between the house of Saul and the house of David. And my family is going to be right in the middle of that clash. So David, because we love each other and because we're brothers, pledge to me, vow to me, make a covenant with me that you'll be good to my house and my house will be good to your house forever. Great insight on Jonathan's part. It shows that while Saul is disconnected from the things of God, Jonathan has his finger on the pulse of what God is doing, and he's accepted it. So they make this covenant here. And I want you to see in verses in 16 and 17, it kind of shows us what the covenant is built on. It says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at thy hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow... Again, because of his love for him and because his love of him and he loved him more than his own life. So uh, I want you to see what's at the root of this Here, They're making this deal. They're sealing it before the Lord. Now their covenant is sealed before God. That's what makes it a covenant. But what it's built on is mutual respect and love. It's quiet. Mutual respect and love is at the heart of every healthy relationship on earth. If with your spouse, you don't have mutual respect and love, you are going to have clash after clash in your married life. Again, the oxygen has been sucked from the room. You see, let's talk about mutual respect a little bit. Many times the world chooses to, you know, uh, the, the differences between men and women are kind of used and exploited against each other. and We, we make fun of each other. You know, you know, you can't look at your husband and think, well, he's a knucklehead. Well, you picked them. You can't look at your wife and go, oh, she's a dingbat. What a mental midget. You picked her. What did Archie call Edith? Dingbat, right? Not nice, Archie. The young people are going, Archie. Is that an app? Uh, uh." No, it's not an app. But if you don't have respect for your spouse, if you don't have mutual respect for each other, your relationship's going to have a hard time. Yeah, you know, there's things about me that my wife must look at and shake her head and say, why, Jesus, why? But you know what? And, th- and there's times where she does stuff and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you, you didn't grill that thing right. You gotta put the barbecue sauce on. <laughs> and, and th- but we can't look down on each other. We have to celebrate each other's differences and see them as strengths, amen? amen. That mutual respect is... <laughs> God put us together so we could laugh at each other, you know? But, but there's things about that other person that you revere and you respect and you need to verbalize those things. <laughs> so I noticed you got more excited when I talked about the barbecue than when I... Well, let's talk about love a little bit. You gotta have love in, a, in any kind of relationship. Look, you build a covenant without love, these guys will break that covenant as quick as it becomes uncomfortable for them. They loved each other. There again, in a marital relationship, in any healthy relationship, there has to be love. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. It covers when you leave the toilet seat up and the toothpaste cap off and you you use the wrong towel. You use the wrong towel in my house. It's a felony. That's the special guest towel for the beach. And I got grease on it. Hey honey, I fixed the lawnmower. Come on, you guys are married. Don't look so holy out there. (laughs) But you need love and you need mutual respect. And Jonathan and David had it both. And that's why their covenant stood and that's why it worked. And though it was sealed in the presence of God, it was built on those two things. And I want you to see that and I want you to incorporate them into your own life. Verses 18 through 23, a plan is made to communicate Saul's intentions to David. Now, at this point, it's not safe for David and Jonathan to be seen together. It's not safe for David to be in Saul's presence. So they go covert. They go black ops here. And they, like, come up with this plan. You know, we're going to shoot some arrows. We're going to send a kid out. You're going to hide by a rock. And this sounds sketchy to you. It doesn't make much sense to us, but it works for them. And, you know, they use this situation here. David's instructed to hide by a landmark. A volley of three arrows is going to be fired as a sign to David. If the arrows are in front... Uh, If he says the arrows are in front of the boy, then that means you're good, and Saul's not going to kill you. If the arrows, you know, they're beyond you, he says to the lad, then, you know, Saul is going to kill you, so you got to go. There's, you know, a, a kid involved, there's some arrows involved, and they just make this system up to communicate, you know, what... Saul's feeling is towards David at that moment. So they work that out. Verses 24 through 26, it's day one of the feast. They're having a big feast. The king's uh, putting out a big display, a big spread. He has chairs there for specific people. David's chair is empty on day one. That's going to be a problem. How many know you don't blow off the king's feast? You you guys blow off everything? Was that... (laughs) I'm not going to the barbecue, I'm not going to the party, I'm not going, I'm not putting pants on, I'm staying home. (laughs) Come on, you don't blow off the king's feast, right? The king's got a chair for you and you're not in it, that's a problem. So David knows it's going to be a problem. He knows it's going to create a situation that there's going to be an inquiry, where's David? So, you know, this is their little plan here. Day one of the feast, David's not in his chair, but Saul just assumes, well, he's unclean. Now, you know, Jewish people had to refrain from doing certain things that made them unclean. Whether they touched a specific person or a woman, or they touched dead things, or they ate something that wasn't kosher, that would make them ritually unclean, so, that they would have to be ritually cleansed by a priest in a ceremony before they could mix with the other uh, children of Israel. So, Saul looks at the empty seat and goes, Ah, he must, you know, David, he's, he must have touched, uh, he's, he must be unclean. Right. So, he just kind of sloughs it off. Day one is a bust, and, uh, you know, nothing comes of it. Day two in verse 27, Saul at this point, remember, he's shrewd and he's watching, he's waiting for David. He, he's, he's waiting for David because he wants to kill him. So day two, the chair's empty. He knows something's up, uh, and he asks about it. Now, in verse 28 and 29, Jonathan pitches the prearranged excuse that David and he had agreed upon him. And, you know, the excuse maybe sounded good when they came up with it, but, but Saul's response is interesting. It says in 28, then Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. So he gives him this story about, you know, his family's having a feast. His brother said, you got to be there. So I I said it was okay. So he's with his family in Bethlehem. You know what? And that excuse goes out. And let me tell you something. Saul does not buy it at all for a minute. When you're dealing with shrewd people who have bad intentions, when you're dealing with somebody at this point who's demonically afflicted, you know, you're dealing with somebody who's really on edge. And Saul sees right through all the smoke and mirrors. He sees right through the dog and pony show. And at this point, now he is angry. Saul explodes on Jonathan, and he calls Jonathan some pretty hateful things. In verse 30, uh, look at the response here now. Realize this is his son. He's the king. His son has betrayed him. Saul has got a right to be angry in, in, in the natural perspective. But here's his, his, his response. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and the shame of your own mother's nakedness? Well, good morning. Really? <laughs> I, I shared with first service, I was on a plane to Guatemala sitting next to Louis. And Louis starts laughing. I said, What are you laughing at? And he was reading this scripture. <laughs> and we found it particularly humorous when he called her you son of a perverse <laughs> and I mean uh, he passed over to me I looked at the yeah that's funny that's pretty good so I mean uh, he just explodes on him you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't you know? I know what you're doing here. I know you've chosen David over me to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. It's graphic here. It's a personal attack. He really lets loose on him. It's pretty safe to say that Saul had some underlying issues with Jonathan's mother. Would you say that? Perhaps she wasn't the most submissive and easiest to get along with. Perverse and rebellious. All the feminists are going hey, you know what? They had some issues in their, uh, in their situation there and, and Saul just lets it all out. And he basically tells Jonathan, you know, you're an embarrassment. You, the mother who bore you is an embarrassment. You, you, you're doing the wrong things here. I know you've betrayed me. He just lets it all loose. He questions uh, Jonathan's loyalty and his gross lack of judgment and his gross lack of self-preservation. He says, I know you've chosen him to your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness. Apparently Saul didn't carry just a sharp sword and a spear, he had a sharp tongue too. Okay. Okay. And realize people who are have bad intentions and are manipulative usually are really good with their tongues to use them as weapons. And they'll use those tongues to insult to embarrass, to provoke, and to humiliate their victims so that they will fall into compliance with their will. Right. It's quiet now. You know, manipulators, you and I need to spot them and make sure we don't allow them to control us with their manipulative you know, things that they're trying to do here. Jonathan hears all this, it's a big insult, but here, there again, he doesn't back down. He's not, he's not gonna turn his back. Now, all the hurtful things he calls them, uh, the response is not, you know, well, okay, you know, uh, I'll just back down. No, he stands right up. In verse 31, he continues to stand for David. What Saul says is, for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, listen, Saul gets right down to it. If David's alive, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, now send and bring him to me, for he surely must die. So, Saul comes out with the reasoning here. He's saying, You know, you're standing with him, and you know, you guys are buddies, and I get it. But, you know, he appeals to his pride and his ambition here. He says, If you don't let me take David out, your kingdom is never going to happen. You're never going to sit on the throne. You're never going to be king. You're never going to have and rule all of what I have. So, what does he do? He appeals to Jonathan's pride and his ambition. But here's the problem. He appeals to something that Jonathan doesn't have. Jonathan doesn't have pride and ambition. He's more satisfied to allow the will of God to take place, to step aside and let David take the throne. He doesn't have any ambition for the throne. He doesn't have any pride that he wants to be king. He wants to be in charge. He wants to rule. You see, there again, manipulators will always try and manipulate you with something that is important to you when they can find it. If Jonathan was proud, if he was ambitious, this might have worked. You know, there are many times where people, you know, will try and manipulate us with things to to appeal to our ego or to, you know, maybe offer us money. I, I shared with First Service that I've had times in ministry with particular people who basically, bottom line, offered to write a check if I would overlook some certain things. Yeah, I want to share some stuff in this service that you're going to ooh. You know, and I basically told him, take your money, put it back in your pocket, get out of here and don't ever come back because that's not the way things are done around here. And I I said, first service, you know, money was never a thing that I chased after. If I wanted money, I wouldn't have went into the ministry. You know, I can do other things that would make money, but money wasn't my thing. Now, everybody has something that they can be tempted with. You know, and I, Phil was in the front row and I said, pasta with and <laughs> Phil was like, yeah. But you know, there's things that all of us have a weakness towards. When the enemy find out what our weakness is, he'll try and appeal to that, to manipulate us. Come on, I'm sharing deep stuff with you this morning here. Just store this in because you're gonna encounter people like this. There are souls all around us every day. And you know what? Jonathan's not going for it. In fact, it, he stands up even after he's insulted, even after his pride and his ambition is, uh, you know, he tries to pull those strings, doesn't work. In 32 through 34, he stands up for David. But Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled a spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew his father had decided to put David to death. So there again, you know, what a great insight there. Dad just threw a spear at me. Maybe he's mad at David. But um, Think of, (laughs) did you ever read stuff in the Bible and you're like, you didn't have to put that there? (laughs) Couple spots. Well, anyways, you know, now he's not only tried to kill David twice, but he just threw a spear at his own son. Saul's hitting new lows. He's coming unglued. He's, he's getting worse and worse. The, the, the anger and the, the murderous intentions that he's not be, been able to fulfill, he can't take David out, and he's frustrated. So Jonathan basically gets up from the table. In anger, he leaves. He refuses to eat, and the, the battle lines have been drawn here. Jonathan takes David's side. Saul doesn't want any part of what his son's pushing here. There's not going to be any peace brokered at this time. The gloves are off and the game is on. Now, Jonathan and David, are their relationship, the time that they're able to spend together and enjoy each other is ticking down here. Verses 34 through 35, uh, the plan that they put into place with the arrows is carried out. And they go out there and, and David has hit himself like he was supposed to. Uh, no, for this to work, he had to be where he was supposed to be. For all of those of you who are late for everything, let this be an encouragement to you. You know, you would have run in the spot where the arrows were falling. Maybe I'm late. He goes out there and the arrows are shot. The volley is shot. He tells the boy, you know, uh, are they not beyond you? So David hears the, the verbal Cue that they agreed on and realizes that, you know, uh, it's not good for him to go back and he's not going to be able to go home. Now I want you to just put yourself in David's spot for a second. He's hiding himself. He's in the field. Uh, there's something going on. Nobody knows except him and Jonathan. The arrows fall. The words are said and David's heart is just broken. You see, put yourself in a spot. He can never go home again. Everything he had is gone. His military command is gone. His wife is gone. He has to flee from a king that he served without blemish, with a perfect record. Now he has to run for his life. Can, can you picture yourself in this situation where you've lost everything, as if your whole world has burned down and it's gone? This is a really emotional moment for David. It, it's going to set a different uh, tempo here of his life he's going to be running and hiding from this moment forward and the the situation with Saul went from bad to worse just in the volley of three arrows so uh, it's an upsetting thing verses 41 through 42 uh, it says when the lad was gone so he sends the boy away he says take the bow take the arrows hit the road go back when the boy goes away when the lad was gone David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground why because he's shattered and bowed three times and they kissed each other and wept together but listen the word notes that david wept the more so jonathan is jonathan is upset but but david is shattered and i want you to see that the cost here for david is really high now what did david do to deserve this all he did he was tending sheep and the prophet called him in and poured some oil on his head and said you're going to be the king minding his own business, doing his job, serving his father, Jesse. That's all he did was say yes to the call of God. See, you and I got to realize when we say yes to Jesus, yeah, we're saved and our eternity is settled, but sometimes the trajectory of our life is, from that moment forward is not going to be easy. Jonathan said to David... Well, David rose from the place, fell on his face. They kissed and they wept together. David wept all the more. Jonathan said to David, go in safety. Inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord will be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. Then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. So I want you to see the picture here. You know, Jonathan kept his word, maintained his integrity. David got the news. They weep together over the brokenness, realized they're, they're separated. They're best friends, but they're not going to be able to hang out together. They're not probably ever going to see each other again. We're going to see their their destinies go in opposite directions, and they they never get to, to be friends again. David watches his friend walk back towards the city, a city that David cannot go into now, and David goes off into the unknown. There's a high cost many times and pursuing the will of God. And many times it might be tempting to think it's easier just to live a a pedestrian lifestyle and and keep this whole Jesus thing, you know, quiet. Like Brother Charles said, we're, we're saved to be a witness for him, to fulfill the great commission. How dare we enjoy the benefits of salvation and then keep it all to ourselves? That's not a grateful heart. Yet, David embraces the call to lead God's people, yet the cost to him personally is so great. Here are these two friends with a tearful goodbye. They part ways. They affirm their loyalty. They reaffirm their covenants. And the stage is set from this moment forward. At an accelerated pace, Saul will try and stamp out what God is doing in David. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters, for each of us that have chosen to follow Christ, it is not only the most incredible, blessed privilege of our lives, but it is a decision that puts a a bullseye on our back that the enemy would try and afflict us and trip us and and sidetrack us every minute of our lives until we fall into your arms. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, all of us, including myself, that we would learn uh, from this man, Jonathan, what integrity really is, what it really means to be a friend. That we would not only be thankful for those type of friends that we have, but we'd be that type of friend to others. That we'd be there in calamity and in crisis. Not just in good times, but in the hard times. Father, that we would look at our lives and realize there's a cost to following you. And you said that we had to carry our crosses. Father, for each one of us that have thrown our crosses down and sat in the stands and just become spectators, Father, we repent today. And we purpose to take up our crosses and follow you. The call above all, the kingdom above all. Let us be kingdom-minded, not building our own empires, but stepping aside and allowing the will of God to just be something that we lay our lives down for. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's bow our heads. This morning, you might say, you know what? I've been through a lot of stuff in life. I've been betrayed. I've, I've had friends do the opposite of what Jonathan did for David to me. And you know what? I don't trust others. Maybe today you say, I would like a friend like that. Well, I want to offer you a friendship and and a friend and his name is Jesus. The Bible says he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And the Bible says that he died for all of us. Why, why would he die for all of us? Because all of us are sinners. He died for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that the, the sin that we commit can be erased and expunged, that we can have a relationship with God in heaven. You see, our sin separates us from God because God's holy. You might feel estranged from God. You might not have a relationship with Jesus, and you, you say, oh, I want that. What's stopping it? It's our sin that stops it. Today, God offered us a remedy for sin, and his name is Jesus. He died on the cross, not so he could make a statement and elevate his name, not so he could become a famous person or a piece of jewelry. Jesus died on that cross to destroy the power of sin so that sinners like you and I could be forgiven and we could have a relationship with the Father. Today, if you want to be forgiven, if you want a clean slate and a fresh start, if you want to have a relationship with the Father and fill that hole in your heart that only God can fill, that's available to you by a decision of your will. The Bible says if we'll confess with our mouth and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. It's so simple. Acknowledge we need a Savior acknowledge we're sinners, receive Christ, and what'll happen is he will save us, he'll erase our sins, he'll fill us with the Holy Spirit, and he'll change us. You say, I've tried everything to change. I've tried everything to stop doing things I know are wrong, and I can't do it, pastor. None of us can. That's why Christ died. So today, if you want a relationship with Jesus and the Father, and you want to be forgiven, I just want you to raise your hand. Is there any people here today that need to accept Christ and get a new start today. Praise God. Praise God. A couple hands, packets are going out. Let's, uh, Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. I admit I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. You're the only one who ever died for me. And so I receive you as Savior and as Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And from this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God.